Uh, Father, we come before you uh, as we look at your holy word. We're grateful that it is alive, that it's active, that it is the truth, the reality of existence, uh, that what you have spoken forth holds all things together and uh, is our very nature. And so, Lord, we pray that you help us to grasp that, to understand it, to be transformed by it, for it to be our truth and our reality uh, that would cut through the lies that the enemy would cause to um, have us be ineffective or weakened or distracted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener or farmer. Every branch that's in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Uh, And so I just want to kind of stop here within those first two verses because uh, it really kind of helps to get a a clear understanding of this passage uh, by looking at the context of of what this is talking about, uh, and especially the the Jewish context understanding of of kind of the vine and, and what that means. I, I think there's a big disconnect for our culture when it comes to food and how we get our food, right? Like, like how many of us, like, just head to the grocery store, right? <laughs> like, like, okay, let's head to Woodman's and we need some tomatoes. And so uh, the vine or not the vine or how to water or what sunlight or what soil or what zone, I have no idea but apparently there's like zones even for certain plants and vegetables. And what zone are we in? Does anybody know? Zone five. See, some of you know we're in zone five. Uh, and apparently that makes a big difference for like what survives here or doesn't survive here. Um, I don't happen to have any of that knowledge. And so the closest I get to a vine is the tomatoes on the vine. You know, where you get it at the grocery store and still has the green attachment kind of thing. Um, it's that way when it comes to, to a lot of our food, um, even like with, with meat, uh, and just the idea of like we go and we get this nice little, you know, cellophane wrapped steak ready to go. And I remember some of the early conversations I had with my daughter when I had to explain to her like where that actually came from, uh, just so that she was able to kind of know and understand that. And so uh, our context may need to be Um, kind of brought up to speed a little bit when it comes to this passage where most of the disciples that Jesus is talking to would have understood the work required when it comes to vine uh, and to farming. Uh, That it would take effort um, out in the sun, out with the dirt underneath their nails. Jesse would understand this and uh, I'm sure if anybody wants to understand it more it could help you at the CSA, right? All right, so if you want to volunteer and get a good, greater concept of that, uh, talk to Jesse. I helped him a couple times uh, a summer or two ago, and, and it was eye-opening, the amount of work that's involved in producing food. Uh, but the, the disciples would have, have gotten this, that idea of planting, and it's starting to grow. And then, and then as it grows, that certain things would have to be pruned off in order to encourage growth. Uh, I got a picture of this at, at our house. We had a, um, a lilac bush that was there when we bought our house. And we were so excited for the first spring and the lilacs to come out and, and literally like three tiny pitiful little clumps of like flowers came out that first year. And, and so I was like, I was ready to try the whole Jesus thing where it's like, I'm gonna curse you and wither and die. <laughs> and then we'll plant something else. And, and my wife's like, wait, don't do that. And 
so she did some research, and apparently what you need to do is over the course of like three years, you trim off like a third of the branches, the, the biggest ones first, and the next year, the next third, and the next year, the next third, and we literally probably have 100 plus now blooms on our lilac tree because of the pruning that allowed for something to be healthier for it for it to grow so they would have had a concept of this the work for weeds and pests to be removed for uh, dead branches uh, or those with no fruit um, to be cut off because they'd be uh, distracting from the health of the plant even when it comes to trees there's apparently such a thing as like a leader branch and, and so as the tree, I love getting the nods from Sue because then I know I'm talking about something that's, that's real. Uh, <laughs> instead of just making it up. But, but there's like a leader branch. And so there's like one dominant branch that starts to grow. And if it starts to grow in a direction you don't want it to grow, you can literally take off that branch and, and a new leader branch would establish. Uh, and it would be more in the direction and more fruitful than, than the one heading off in a direction that would cause problems in the future. And so they'd have a concept of, of all of these things when it comes to farming and it, and it comes to the vine. But their contextual understanding of this would be more than just uh, agriculture. They would have understood that Jesus is talking about a vine and yet throughout the Old Testament... Uh, Israel is referred to as a vine over and over again in Psalm 80, Isaiah chapter 5, in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Ezekiel, in, in the book of Hosea, uh, where God is talking through prophets and saying, like, things need to be pruned, things need to be trimmed off, there, there is no fruit, there's a problem. It, it was something that was a spiritual understanding to them in the way that God related to them. And so they would have this dual understanding as Jesus starts to say, uh, I am the vine. Except it would begin to transform their understanding a bit. Throughout the Old Testament, Israel is the one that's referred to as the vine. It's referred to as the vine and it's constantly referred to as the vine that needs to be trimmed, that needs to be pruned, that needs to be cut off because of them following idols and, and getting distracted from what God was doing. But, but here, Jesus is not coming and saying, okay, Israel, you're the vine and, and I'm the gardener here now in order to, to take care of you and do more pruning and we need to get rid of those Pharisees and he doesn't say that. He comes and he changes it by saying that he is the vine and that the Father is the gardener and, and the Father and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, are, are one in that triuneness. Uh, but the idea of the vine being in Christ himself. And then he goes on from there to say that uh, he is the true source of life by saying this and that we're just part of the vine. But it's not the Abrahamic covenant or the Mosaic law. It's no longer dependent upon sacrifices, but rather upon relationship and abiding. The whole concept of Israel being the vine in the past uh, had to do with following those commands within the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic law, uh, the sacrifices in order to get back to a right relationship with God. Because of Jesus and his death on the cross uh, that's imminent at this point, this relationship would be restored through forgiveness and grace. And, and then the concept of him being the vine and us grafted in would come to a fuller understanding for the disciples. But again, what's the purpose of being connected to the vine then? What's the purpose of a vine? It's to produce fruit, right? It, it, it's to grow. And produce fruit. But uh, again, the question then is, uh, what is 
fruit. Throughout Scripture, there's multiple aspects of fruit. Uh, the first one is the fruit of God working within us. Uh, we think of passages like in Galatians where we go through uh, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of becoming more like Christ. The fruit of our priorities and goals changing. The fruit of no longer living for this world, uh, but rather living for the eternal heavenly kingdom. Crucifying our flesh, walking to according to God's will, denying sin. Uh, and all of these things, again, uh, is this aspect of fruit growing within our lives that we're familiar with throughout Scripture. Basically, it represents change. This idea of our lives before Christ, we're, we're living for ourselves. We're trying to produce for ourselves, to rely on ourselves, to pursue after our own desires and our own kingdoms and, and all of these other things. And, and in dying to that, we come and we become part of the vine with Christ through that adoption into his family, through the forgiveness of our sins, that, that what actually driven our lives before is now changed. The, the source of our life is now changed. Now that we find it in Christ, it, there's this fundamental change that happens in our life where our priorities should be different. The way we respond to things are different. The uh, Corinthians says that the old has passed away and that the new has come. And talking about the old man versus the new man. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Like all of this is new and it all comes not because of some monumental effort on our part of willpower in order to change and say, oh, I'm going to need to change these habits. So 20 days in a row, like I'm just going to be kinder. And, but it's all fueled by being attached to the vine. And it's this change. So the first uh, sign of fruit is change in life. The second one uh, is actually loving people. Uh, John 13, we had this uh, a few weeks ago or a month ago. On verse 34, Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So again, it's another one of those fundamental changes that happens uh, because of the fruit growing out of us in the work that Jesus is doing in us. To the point where, because of the love that we have for one another, it's evident to the people from the outside looking in. That they will say that, you are, that we are the disciples of Christ because of the love that we have for one another. We're to do this sacrificially in Philippians 2, where it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And it goes on to talk about him sacrificially, hum humbly, coming down from heaven in order to live a perfect life, to offer up his life uh, as a sacrifice for us. Uh, these two aspects of, of fruit within our life, um, only happen, again, because of our connection to Christ. It's nothing that we can do within our own strength. We're, there's certainly reflections of that. We can look outside the church and we can see good people doing good things for other people. Um, but in that is, is different than this concept here within Scripture that because we're loved by God the Father, because we're forgiven by God the Father, because we've been redeemed by him, because our lives have been ransomed, because our lives have been transformed, because we now have eternal value instead of earthly value. Like all of these things have, have transformed us into citizens of heaven instead of citizens on earth. 
And so therefore, when we, connected to the vine, reflect Jesus Christ, we're not doing good deeds in the way that the world, people of the world do good deeds. It might look the same in some circumstances on face value. Somebody who's not in Christ adopts somebody. It's a good thing. Somebody who's in the church adopts somebody. It's a good thing. But there's a fundamental difference in this. Those of the world are still of the world. Their source, their fuel, their motivations are all anchored to the world and the temporary nature of the world, the fickle nature of the world, the changing nature of the world, all of those things. And and so as they pour out in good actions and good deeds to others, they're pouring out from a source that is distorted, that is temporary, that will not last. But as Christians, if we do the same deeds, again, face value might look the same. We're we're now doing it out of a source of Jesus. If we're grafted into the vine, as as we do good things, it is fueled by agape love. It's fueled by the Spirit. We are ambassadors. We are light and salt. We are eternal in Jesus Christ. And so as we step out, we bring the light of heaven and that truth of reality into everything we do and everything we touch. Again, face value might look like the same thing's happening, but eternally it's very, very, very different because we're connected to the vine because we're connected to Jesus Christ, because we do things out of him, not out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, considering others is more important than ourselves. Our motivation is not just because it's a good thing to do, but our motivation is we're doing this in Christ. We're doing it as he calls us to do it. We're doing it because we want him to be made known. We're doing it because we want this to have an eternal impact in people's lives that stretches out for all of eternity, not just because it feels like a good thing to do. There's a fundamental difference between these two things that's only possible through being connected to Jesus. Eternal fruit is only possible. Eternal heavenly fruit is only possible in being connected to Christ. This is accomplished through the work of the Spirit. um, And it reminds me of uh, the conversation that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. uh, And where he is, um, you know, they're they're traveling through an area and there's a well there and he's going to stay at the well. uh, And he sends his disciples on to go get food. And so his disciples travel on to the village to go get food and bring it back. Uh, And Jesus is sitting there at this well, and this Samaritan woman comes up. um, And he asks her for a drink, and she's kind of stunned at that. Like, you, a Jewish man, are asking me, a Samaritan woman? Uh, Which, of course, there's all kinds of cultural conflicts, typically, between Jews and Samaritans. Uh, But you're asking this, uh, and it goes into this whole conversation where uh, he points to uh, the coming promise of the Holy Spirit uh, being a source of water that never runs dry. In fact, it becomes a spring within somebody that wells up to eternal life. And her response in that moment is like, sir, give me a drink of this water so, so that I never have to come to the well again. And she's looking at it still from that earthly perspective, like, okay, I'll take the magic cup that I never have to get thirsty and it's always full of water. And Jesus is like, no, it's, it's inside you. 
This is that source that he's talking about with the Holy Spirit, that, that they is the sap of the vine. It is the source of the vine. It is connected in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that wells up within us uh, in order to fuel the fruit that grows out of us. Disconnected from that, we can't do anything. Disconnected from that, we cannot even find true fulfillment in this life here on earth. In fact, as Jesus wraps up this conversation, um, he points to this uh, in kind of a subtle way uh, as this, um, the disciples come back. And so he's been having this conversation with Samaritan woman. The disciples were at the village. They come back. They see Jesus uh, talking to this woman, possibly some people from the village at this point. They're bringing back the food. And so they walk up to Jesus and they're like, all right, here's lunch. Like, like we picked it up. You asked us to do it. Here's lunch. Um, and Jesus says, in verse 34, uh, basically says he's not hungry. And then he says in verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, don't you say there's still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes, look at the fields because they're ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. And so I think there's two things in this here. The first one is Jesus is saying, like, he is satisfied. He is content with doing the will of the Father. That that eternal participation and the eternal fruit that resulted is of far more value um, than the need for him to have a, a full belly at that moment. Right? He would eat later. But he's saying, like, this was enough for me. Like, I am content now because of this. Again, we can have that same sense of contentment even in times of poverty, even in times where life feels like it's falling apart around us if we're connected into the vine. If that's our source, if that is our anchor, if that is what feeds us, what fuels us, what holds us, what produces fruit within us, uh, then regardless of what's happening in the world around us, we can find security in the source of Christ uh, when the source of the world is kind of shaking and, and falling apart. And so we're able to, to rest in that. But then the second aspect uh, of this verse is showing that fruit also, besides just loving people, besides just the fruit of our changing, transformed lives, uh, fruit is also people coming into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, and she enters into the kingdom of heaven. He's saying here, like, he's talking about the harvest that is coming. He's like, open your eyes, look at the fields, because they're ready for harvest. What he's saying is, is look around you at the people around you. As, as you love these people, recognize that they're longing for something. That they're desiring something. That they need something within their life. And, and they may not know what it is, but the gospel of Jesus Christ points them to that source. And so he's calling them to, to be able to go out and participate in the harvest and, and that people would be working together, the sower, the reaper, rejoicing together in that concept. Uh, it's, again, not fruit that we can grow, right? When we garden, are we able to make things grow? I, I wish sometimes, you know, like uh, I remember how many different times that 
um, I would go, and Angie likes orchids. Um, and so I would like buy an orchid that has flowers on it already, and we can never get the flowers to ever, ever, ever come back. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm sure there's something I'm not doing right to, in order to, to do that. But, like, wouldn't it be cool to be able to, like, you know, I really like orchids or tomatoes or cucumbers or whatever. And we could just, like, take a one little seed and, and put it into the ground and be like, grow. <laughs> and then it's there. Well, we can't do that, right? I, let alone, we're still putting a seed in the ground. Like, if we were going to try and produce fruit ourselves, like, we'd have to be like God, saying, all right, there's just a bunch of dry dirt, and let there be a tomato plant, and there's a tomato plant. Right? That would be the concept of us making fruit. We can't even do that farming-wise. What we do is plant a seed. We, we water we, we kind of get rid of weeds and the things that would distract or choke out what we want to grow. We have to put some effort into it. And, and despite all of that effort, making sure that insects don't get to it and weeds don't grow up around it, and with that we make sure that it's in the right zone, number five for us, just as a reminder, uh, number five, but in the right zone, that it's getting the right amount of sun, whether it's partial sun, full sun, no sun. You know, all of these different complicated things when it comes to growing. Even if we get all those things still right, we're still like, well, we hope it grows. Right? What if it's uh, uh, a dead seed? What if a bird comes along? <laughs> we have no idea. We just hope that it grows. So again, this concept of the fruit within us, the fruit of loving people, the fruit of people coming into the kingdom, uh, we can't produce those things, uh, but rather all we can do is, is do the work that God has called us to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul puts it this way, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. It's that whole concept of being attached to the vine. The growth only happens in connection to God. The growth only happens in relationship to Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, now the one who plants, the one who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So again, effort is needed, right? It's not just sitting there and saying, well, we hope it all turns out and we're trusting God to do this, but rather we're called to participate in it. Verse 9, for we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, his building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. So what he's saying is Paul laid the foundation in, in communicating the gospel. The gospel that we are forgiven, we're only forgiven for our sins through repentance and Jesus Christ's death on the cross. But as that happens, we're adopted into the kingdom of God. We're, we're sons and daughters of the one who spoke all things into existence. We receive inheritance that's anchored in heaven for all of eternity. Uh, everything that he's been speaking up to this point. There, he goes to prepare a place where there's many rooms for us in the Father's house. Like all of these blessings that we receive as children of God. The forgiveness of our sins that were washed white as snow. That we're no longer slaves chained to the world and to sin and to death. 
that the fruit is growing within us. Like all of these things are encapsulated within the concept of the gospel in what Jesus Christ did for us, that we're no longer dead in sin, but alive in Christ. That's the foundation. And what Paul is saying is this foundation is, is then built, but then each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. The foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. These are, this is the fruit that comes out of our lives as we rely on Christ or we rely on the world. These will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work uh, or each one's fruit. If anyone's work that has been built survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It's this idea that if we're in Christ, if we have been born again, his spirit lives within us. He has given us the greatest gift in all of eternity, in all of the universe. We're created within his image, and now he indwells within us. We've been set free from sin and bondage and death and being chained to those things. Now what Paul is saying here is, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? That foundation is set. It's Jesus. You're saved. You're redeemed. What do you do after that? If you remain in Christ, if you are connected to the vine and, and you are allowing him to work through you, again, producing fruit, not that you can make, but that he works through you to work as you are transformed, as you are changed, as you love others, and as you participate in building the kingdom. You may never, ever lead someone to Christ, but you certainly can water, right? And maybe you'll be there someday and be able to lead somebody in that prayer and watch them respond to Christ. But the point is, is both are participating. And he says in that passage, the one who waters, the one who plants, the one who harvests, they're one. God's the one that grows the fruit. He just causes, asks us, calls us to be participants in the work around that, in the watering, in the feeding. And then he's the one that causes the growth. And so in this, uh, if our lives are, are plugged into him, it's going to result uh, in these works of gold, silver, costly stones, um, because those are eternal. If we do work and produce fruit by connection in the vine to Christ, it results in eternal fruit to the glory of God. And it says there will be a reward for this. However, we still have the potential, even though we're saved, to build with wood, hay, or straw. And it says that they will be tested. They will burn because they're made out of temporary things. We'll still be saved, but it's only through fire. This is the fruit that, that comes out of our life uh, that is done out of our own strength, done out of our own desires, our own motivations, done out of trying to build things for ourselves that are here and now in the earth as we pursue earthly goals and earthly comforts. They're all temporary things. And so it's the choice that we have in how do we live. 
the fruit that's a result. It's a choice. And it comes out of what, are, what is the, the source, what is the driving source within us to produce fruit. If it's earthly comfort, it results in wood, hay, and straw. If it's eternal purpose, it results in gold, silver, and precious stones that will last for eternity. This is the fruit. We need to be connected to the vine and using that as our source. Again, this is part of God's whole design in Ephesians. We're, we're saved by grace through faith, and this is not from ourselves. So again, it's, it's not us trying to have enough faith to believe in God, but it's rather his grace that saves us, not from works, so that no one can boast. Again, the fruit in our lives, the works that we produce, whether it's hay and straw or gold and gems, cannot save us. It's only through grace and Jesus' death on the cross. However, we're not saved by works so that no one can boast. Verse 10, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works or for fruit, which God prepared ahead of us, uh, to, uh, prepared ahead of time for us to do. The salvation of God that he freely gives to us is multifaceted but whole. It, it is to save us from hell. It's to free us from sin and death. And it is to produce fruit in our lives while we're here. It, it, it is different facets, but it's the same thing. It's the same gospel. It's the same salvation. It's, it's both. Not either or. It's not, okay, we have salvation, and so therefore we don't have to worry about the fruit that we produce in our life. He says we, we were saved, and he, uh, his, we are his workmanship. We are his creation in order to do good works. He saved us in order to produce fruit as we connect to the vine. And so God, being the perfect gardener, works towards that end. As the passage that we're in at the beginning of this morning, where he says, uh, Jesus says, I am the true vine, my Father is the gardener. Every branch that's in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and, everyone, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. God in this illustration is not a passive farmer. He's not just sitting there and saying, okay, It'll grow or it won't grow. But he's saying, I am causing you to grow and I am working in you to grow and I am working for you to produce fruit. It's why he saved us. He saved us because he loved us, because he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. It's not that he saved us in order to have slaves to do his work here on earth. It's, it's this concept of him being a father that adopts children out of love, and because now we're his children, he's like, I want you to do stuff with me. I want you to participate with me. I want to show you this cool stuff that I'm doing in other people's lives, and I want you to be a part of it. And I think we struggle with that at times. I, I remember looking back at my childhood even, and, and the different times that I can think of, you know, uh, my dad inviting me to do stuff. There's a picture of, like, a I believe it was some demolition. It was either demolition or drywalling. I can't remember right now. 
So either I'm knocking down drywall or I'm putting up drywall. But I was probably like three years old. And I'm in like this little blue jeans and a little gray hoodie and I'm holding a tool. And my dad's doing all the work. But he lets me put a couple holes in the wall. <laughs> because why? Does he need me, my effort to make it happen? No. Because he wants me to participate in it. He enjoys that spending time with me in doing the work together, being fellow workers. As a young kid, I loved to be able to do it. I'm like, I'm helping. He was doing all the work. But I had that, that joy of participating and being able to do something with him that, that had a result in a room that was accomplished. God's calling us to do that with him as we bear fruit, to participate in the works of the kingdom, to be part of a body of Christ working together, encouraging one another. He calls us to participate like a little kid saying, you know, I'm doing the work. I'm producing all the fruit, but I want you to be a part of this process. But I also remember uh, as a teenager and other projects coming up, and my dad saying, all right, we got to resurface the driveway. You want to help? And me being like, I got other things to do. I'm going to go play Xbox. And so my dad, the work needs to be done, and he's out there resurfacing the driveway. And it results in a beautiful driveway. The fruit of his labor was evident. And the fruit of my labor was... I have no idea. Because I played a video game. And I don't know what the score was. And I can't even tell you what video game it was. I don't know what the fruit was. The work was still done. I'm still his son. He didn't disown me because I played Xbox instead of helping him with that project. But I had no fruit to show for it. It's the same thing in our lives. God's calling us to participate. God's calling us to have an active part in the work that he's doing here on earth to produce fruit to his glory. He's going to do it anyways. He is. And so either we can step out and seek the will of God, humble ourselves, deny ourselves, crucify our flesh, allow him to work within us, transform us, to love other people and to work in the kingdom and, and to participate in everlasting fruit where we'll get to heaven, right? And somebody's going to be there saved and, and thanking God and praising God for his salvation and we're going to be like, we handed out tracts. I shared my faith in a grocery store. I didn't produce the fruit, but I got to be a part of it. Or a thousand years from now, if we were the belligerent teenager that wanted to do something else, we'll still be in heaven. The fruit's still going to be there, but will we even remember what it was that we were doing instead? I, I don't think so. Because it's going to be temporary. I don't even think, I don't feel shame over playing video games. I think I feel a healthy regret over I could have participated in something that was good. 
And I think that might be the result. Again, we don't lose salvation over this, but we either produce fruit that is eternal and lasting and glorious, or we produce fruit that fades to the point where we may never remember it someday. The choice is ours as we continue to trust in God. Now this passage says he's active in this. It's not just dependent on our own efforts to participate or not participate. Again, God is this active gardener, this active farmer, in order to help us participate with him. To to draw us into participating with him. To equip us to participate with him. to, To even put the desire within us to participate with him. So, um, in this, he says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. That's because those branches are useless, fruitless, and, and will drain the life from other branches around it. Now, these branches uh, are not receiving or not getting life out of the vine. There's zero evidence in these branches of being moved by the Holy Spirit, and there's zero evidence of being connected to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm very intentionally saying zero evidence because they're dead. Zero evidence. I think we can struggle at times as Christians, and we can look at our lives, and and then the enemy wants to throw in shame or condemnation because we feel like we're not doing enough. This is not what he's talking about when these branches are removed. It's not at all. He says this in Hebrews chapter 2. Have you forgotten the exhortation that he addresses you as sons? My son, or sons and daughters, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son or daughter that he receives. Endure this suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as children. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, which all receive, then you're illegitimate sons and not um, illegitimate children and not sons. We had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For our fathers disciplined us for a short time based on what seems good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If there is zero evidence of life being moved by the Holy Spirit, if there's zero evidence of being connected to Jesus, if there's zero evidence of any trust in God, those are the things that are cast aside. But if in your life you have conviction over sin, even if you haven't mastered it, if in your life you have glimmers that may seem faint to you, of a desire for God and his love and obedience to him, even if your outward actions show differently, if that is flickering within you, that is evidence of the Holy Spirit. That is evidence of God's Spirit within you, at work, calling you and drawing you, and even just creating a desire to walk away from that sin, a desire to step out in boldness. Sometimes that desire even feels like it starts with, I want to want to. Right? 
There's things that like we want to get rid of in our life. There's sins that we want to kick out. There's things that we want to see gone. There's, there's actions that we want to see us do. And, and part of us says, I should want to do that, but I don't. But I wish that I wanted to do that. That is the Holy Spirit at work. And it's your flesh saying, I don't want to. That's where it gets confused. The flesh is saying, I don't want to do this. Our desires, our earthly motivations are saying, I don't want to do this eternal thing. It's uncomfortable. It causes me to die to myself. It's a voice that if we pay too much attention to it, we fed it too much in our life, will seem louder than the spirit within us saying, this is your eternal good. This is the best for you. And if we've trained our ears to listen to the voice of our flesh more, it's going to seem louder. But God at work within us, that's saying this is good. That is the I want to, want to aspect of it. And what he's saying here is that every branch that produces fruit will be pruned so that it produces more fruit. That desire of the Spirit within you is fruit. And God is saying that, that he will prune, that he will bring discipline, like that lilac tree that was in my house. There wasn't much fruit. I'm sure, like, if the plant had feelings, it wouldn't like me coming. It's just, like, chopping off, like, the biggest aspects of it. It certainly looked weird when I was done with it. But it resulted in growth. It resulted in more fruit. It resulted in more beauty. The Holy Spirit's constantly at work within us, constantly bringing conviction, it's constantly working to transform us more into the likeness of Christ. And if we humbly submit, willingly submit to that discipline that he's given to us as sons and daughters, it will result in more fruit. It's the truth of reality as God has spoken it into existence. It may not feel that way to you sitting here, certainly doesn't feel that way to me at times within my own life. But the truth is, he will do it and he will accomplish it. His word will not return void. Because he loves us, he will allow difficult circumstances in our lives at times as training. We look at discipline and we think of it oftentimes as punishment. But the word here in this is more along the lines of uh, disciplining our bodies for an activity or a spark, sport or having discipline in the way that we eat. Not discipline in the sense of like, oh, okay, you're going to get pow-pows on your butt because <laughs> you made a mistake. It, it's rather that intentional discipleship training, disciplining as, as a discipline in order to change. This is what he gives to us as sons and daughters in order to produce more fruit. And so we cannot take the enemy and his lies that say, well, your fruit is weak, your fruit is small. What's the point of trying? What's the point of making the effort? What's the point of being bold? What's the point of stepping out? What's the point of seeking after fellowship? What's the point of whatever? Because there's just, you don't have much to offer. It's a lie. Because that fruit isn't even yours. 
It's not even fruit that you produce. That the fruit is God working within you. That is eternal. It is holy. It is good. And it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be pruned around it to get rid of the weeds and distractions and things that would try and choke it out so that more fruit is produced so that it becomes more beneficial, more glorious, more beautiful, more glory to God. And because of his love, he does that within our lives. And because of that, he... All he wants us to do is participate with him. Join him in that work. Pick up a hammer and swing, and if we make some mistakes along the way and I accidentally put a dent in a new wall, my dad would just fix it. But he just wanted me there to participate. And then, guess what? The discipline for putting a dent in a new wall wouldn't have been like, oh, I'm going to take this hammer and like hit your toe now <laughs> in punishment. But rather, okay, there's a hole now. Now let's get some spackle. Let's work together to patch this up. This is how you patch it up. And now next time, don't do that so you don't have to do the extra work. That's the discipline. It's not just punishment. But he even uses us within our own discipline in order to correct us, change us, and help us to grow even more. And then know, like, okay, when we're around my, you know, if Eliana would help me on a project and she dents a new wall, all right, let's get out the spackle, let's get out the knife, let's work on this together. Not a problem. Opportunity for growth. We have to realize that. Even the biggest issue that we think we have in our lives, the biggest block, the biggest thing that we keep falling into, God's response to it is not ever, whoa, that's a doozy. I'm not quite sure how to deal with this. His response is, not a problem. We'll work through it together. That's his promise to us as he works through us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that as we find salvation in you, we are connected to you as the vine. That we will produce fruit in our life, not because of our own efforts, because of your work within us. I thank you that you will prune us, that you will discipline us, that you will correct us, that you will show us the things that we need to prune out of our own lives in order to have more eternal fruit. Lord, I pray uh, that each one of us would be able to take a look uh, at the foundations of our life and to find that it is Jesus Christ, but then also to, by the power of your Spirit, truly examine what we've built on top of that and lord if our pursuit is temporary fruit that will fade uh, lord i pray that you help us that you increase the desire within us to have more heavenly fruit to um, to bring you glory lord i pray that when you bring opportunities to us uh, that we would be precious children that in faith would say i want to participate it doesn't matter how good of a job I think I might do at it. I just want to participate. Instead of preoccupied teenagers that say, oh, I got something else to do. We want to know you more. We want to walk with you more. And know your love for us more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.